or if you have a Bible, either a printed copy like I have right here or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error first matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Hope. I want you to say that word with me. Hope. Let's say it again. Hope. Even saying that word seems to soothe our soul. A number of years ago, some research scientists did an experiment. They were trying to determine how hope impacted stressful situations. And what they did is they had two tubs of water, and they put rats in both tubs of water. In one tub of water, they left the rats alone. And within an hour, every one of the rats in that tub had died. But in the other tub of water, for just a few seconds, only a few seconds, just a few seconds every single hour, they would pick up the rats, and then they would put them back in the tub. And those rats swam in that water for over 24 hours before they ever drowned. And they discovered that it wasn't because the rats were given rest, because a couple of seconds isn't rest. They discovered that the reason that those rats survived so much longer is because they had hope. I want you to say that word with me again. Hope. Hope changes everything. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Russian novelist who was imprisoned in a Russian prison camp in Siberia. And it was grueling. It was torturous. They worked from, from daylight to, to, to sunset every single day, whether it was raining or snowing, whether it was winter or cold. They worked back-breakingly hard every day. They were facing starvation. People were dying left and right. And, and Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote that, that one day he had lost all hope. He was ready to give up, to throw in the towel and just die. And he went and he sat down on this bench, something you weren't supposed to do. He knew that at any moment a, a Russian guard was going to come there, poke him to get him up. And when he did not get up, that Russian guard would beat him to death, probably with the shovel that he was working with. But as he was sitting there waiting for a Russian guard to beat him to death, he felt this presence and he looked up and it was this, this skinny prisoner that was in there with him and the prisoner didn't say a word that prisoner just reached down with a stick drew the sign of a cross on the ground he looked at Solzhenitsyn then he walked away and Solzhenitsyn said that 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 one act drawing that cross on the ground completely changed his perspective he said that he moved from hopelessness to hope. 
as he looked at the cross and he was reminded that even though he was in a place of evil surrounded by horrible things, there was hope because of someone else. I want you to say that word with me again, hope. I mean, when we say it, it it seems to calm us down. Someone wisely said, you can live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but you can't live four seconds without hope. When we're discouraged, hope lifts our spirits. When we're tempted to quit, hope keeps us going. When we struggle with each lingering illness or pain, it's hope that helps us persevere. When we're forced to sit back and wait, hope gives us the patience to trust. When we feel trapped, hope lets us see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. When we feel abandoned and rejected, hope reminds us we are not alone. When we must endure the consequences of of poor decisions, hope helps us recover. When we fear the worst, hope reminds us that God is still in control. And when we have to say our final goodbye to someone we love, it's hope that gets us through the grief. Simply put, when life hurts and our dreams seem to fade away, nothing helps us like hope. Webster's Dictionary defines hope as a desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. To expect with confidence. The author of Hebrews defined it this way. He said, hope is the anchor for our soul, safe and secure. Say it with me one more time. Hope. When we have hope, we feel safe. We feel secure. But without hope, students get discouraged and they drop out of school. Without hope, addicts go back to their old habits. Without hope, marriage partners decide to divorce because they see no hope. Without hope, survival is impossible. But with hope, there's always tomorrow. There's nothing worse than being without hope. And the Bible makes that clear from cover to cover. Solomon was was probably the richest man who ever lived. And he wrote several books in the Old Testament. One of them was the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes describes life without God. He, he says that it is life under the sun. And, and this is what Solomon said. He said, it seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. They choose their own mad course for they are without hope. You see, when we're without hope in life, we're more prone to make bad decisions, mad decisions that will destroy our life. The Apostle Paul, when when he was describing our lives before we come to know Jesus, he said it this way. He said, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You lived in a world without God and without hope. You, You see, life without Jesus is a life without hope. And that's why Jesus came into the world, and that's what Christmas is all about. And so I want us to take a moment and and look at the passage I asked you to turn to, Matthew chapter 12. 
when we read this passage, we discover that Jesus had just healed a man on the Sabbath. And because of this and because of other things that Jesus was saying and doing, we're told that, that the religious leaders called this meeting and they were plotting a way to kill Jesus. And that's where verse 15 picks up. Listen to what it says. It says, but Jesus knew what they were planning. So he left that area and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them. But he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And then listen to verse 21. And his name will be the hope of the world. I want you to listen to that verse one more time. Let it soak in what Matthew is saying here. He says, and his name will be the hope of the world. Now, Matthew is, is quoting a prophecy that we find in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 41, about the coming Messiah. And in that prophecy, Isaiah is telling us that, that one of the names, one of the, the titles that, that Jesus will have, the coming Messiah will have, is the hope of the world. You see, just as Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, just as He is the bread of life that gives our life sustenance and, and the ability to go on, just as Jesus is the Word of God that leads us to truth, Jesus is the hope of the world. In the most difficult, the most painless, the most hopeless situations. When I was growing up, we would sing a song in church that went like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I always loved singing that song once I'd given my life to Jesus because it reminded me that my hope isn't based upon my ability or what I can do or my goodness. My hope is based on Jesus. In recent years, a lot of other bands and a lot of other singers have come up with songs about hope. River Valley Worship has a song that, that goes like this. It says, here is a song, I know it well, a melody that never failed. On mountains high and valleys low, my soul will rest, my confidence in you alone. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Christian Stanfield sings a song with these words. Breaking through the silence with the glory in the highest, the hope of all creation resting in his mother's arms, the song on the horizon ringing through the heavens, the long-awaited Savior come to set the captives free. Hope has a name, Emmanuel, God with us. And many of us here at Northside are familiar with the Jesus culture song, Love Has a Name. We sing that song often here. But one of the verses goes like this. There is a hope that's flowing through my veins. There's a voice that echoes in my pain. There's an ember ready for the flame. There's a name. And then the chorus says, my hope has a name. My hope has a name. His name is Jesus. You see, hope does have a name because Jesus is our hope. 
Jesus is the source of our hope, unending hope. Whatever we face as we look back, as we walk in the present, as we look forward to the future, Jesus is the one that gives us hope in the midst of our life. So this morning for a few minutes, what I want us to do is I want us to just look back, look into the present, and look into the future and see how Jesus gives us hope. First of all, I want you to know that because of Jesus, I have hope as I look back because my sins have been forgiven. Now, here's what I know about you. You have regrets. We all do, don't we? We all have regrets, things that we have done, things that we have said, things that we have thought that we wish we would have never done, said, or thought. We all have regrets. And what I've discovered is as we get older in life, it seems that our regrets are more multiplied. Because we've lived longer, we're able to see more clearly some things, and, and we have regrets because there are things that we wish we would have never done. There are words that have come out of our mouth that have hurt relationships. We wish we would have never said those things. There are attitudes that we have had toward people that have, that have really cut people deep. We've sinned. That's what the Bible calls it, each and every one of us. And, and you need to understand that Christmas is all about Jesus coming to deal with our past, to deal with our sins. In Matthew chapter 1, when the angel appeared to Mary, the angel said this, do not be afraid or excuse me, um, said to Joseph, he said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You see, our sins are our number one problem. We're sinners, and our, our sins not only separate us from a holy God, but our sins corrupt our life and keep us from experiencing life to its fullest, the way our Creator intended it. Now, there are some in our culture today that have a hard time acknowledging that we're sinners, that we're flawed, that we've disobeyed God. And yet, David, who was called in the Bible, a man after God's own heart, said this. He said, I was sinful at my birth. David acknowledged something that the Bible teaches, that all of us are born with a sin nature. The first sinners, Adam and Eve, sinned against God, and, and their sin corrupted humanity. And, and because of their sin, each and every one of us are born with that sin gene that causes us to sin. And you may say, I don't believe that. And I would say, if you don't believe that, all you have to do is be around preschoolers for a couple of hours. And you will acknowledge, yes, we have a sin gene. Now, why do I say that? I've got 10 grandkids. I love my grandkids. They are next to perfect, but they're sinners. You, you see, because sin is selfishness, self-centeredness at the core. Sin is wanting what I want and wanting it now. Sin is wanting things to go my way. Sin is wanting to sit on the throne of my life. Sin is wanting to make my own rules, to make my own laws, to call my own shots. And we see that at the earliest of ages as kids throw temper tantrums because they don't get their way. Several years ago, I was in a toy store 
shopping for some toys for my grandkids and and I heard this screaming and I didn't know what it was and it was this little two-year-old that was in a buggy and he was just screaming his head off because his mom wouldn't let him put this toy in the buggy he wanted that toy he wanted it bad his mom wasn't going to get it for and he was letting her know he was not happy now can I say to you we know don't we that that behaving that way isn't right you're not supposed to behave that way are you we're not to do that And I can promise you that mother didn't sit down and teach her two-year-old son, here's how you throw a good tantrum. She didn't do that. And I imagine, I imagine that he didn't learn it by observing her. Because two-year-olds, they're very observant, but I doubt he saw his mom throwing a tantrum like that, though he may have. He He was born with that. You see, we're born with a sinful nature, and we excel at sinning, each and every one of us. And we get better at it over time. I, I was raised in a, in a Christian home with a mommy and a daddy that loved Jesus with all their heart. I got to tell you, if I wasn't raised in a home where Jesus was first, I would probably be in prison today or dead. And I'm not joking. And I know God's sovereign. I know all of that. But I just know me. I know my nature. I am prone to rebellion And so if I was born in a home without the light of Jesus shining brightly every day, I I would probably be running a drug cartel. That's just where I would be today. But even though my parents gave their best effort at keeping me from making wrong decisions, I still made wrong decisions. You see, we can be put in the best environment, we can have the best education, we can have the best of everything in our life and that's not going to keep us from sinning because we are born sinners and when we get old enough we're going to act out on that sin some of us more than others and and as we get older we're going to have regrets for some things that we've done now here's what I know there are some of you here today that you have some serious regrets you've done some things that you wish you would have never done i got to be candid with you. If many of you knew some of the things that I have done in my past, you probably wouldn't think I should be on stage here. I'm unworthy. And the truth of the matter is, I am unworthy. I'm not up here because of my goodness. I'm up here because of the grace and the mercy of God. And he has forgiven my past and you see because of that I don't have to live with regrets I don't have to live with guilt I don't have to live with shame and again there are some of you who have made some awful decisions as bad as some of mine maybe worse than some of mine and 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 those things haunt you they plague you you're you're afraid what if someone ever finds out about some of the things I've ever done and I'm here to tell you Jesus can forgive your past and he can take away your guilt and he can take away your shame. You see, because of Jesus, I have hope as I look to my past. But second, I have hope as I walk through this life because Jesus is with me. You see, Jesus not only came to this world to forgive our sins, to deal with our past, Jesus came to this world so that he could walk with us through life. 
a little later on in Matthew 1, when that angel was talking to Joseph, I want you to listen to what he said. He said, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, this is telling us that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God come to earth. But I believe it is so much more than that. I believe Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is telling us that Jesus is our ever-present help in time of trouble. And the reality is life on planet Earth can be filled with trouble. Life on planet Earth can be filled with pain. The reality is life on planet Earth can get difficult. It can get scary. It can be lonely at times. But there's someone who can help us when when life is difficult. There's someone who can protect us when life is scary. There's someone who will be with us when we're lonely and all alone. And his name is Jesus. He will never leave us. He will never turn his back on us. So listen to me. You don't give up. You don't lose hope because Jesus is here with you. You may not feel his presence, but you are not alone. You may feel overwhelmed, but you can cast your cares on him. You may feel depressed and feel like there's nowhere to turn and there's no light at the end of the tunnel, but trust me, he is here with you and for you. Don't give up. When I came in this morning before the 8 o'clock service, I was talking with one of our our senior members. And she told me that this past week she was sitting down and she was writing out her Christmas cards. And she was going through her address book. And she said she had to stop because she, she just got really down. Because as she was going through her address book, doing her Christmas cards, she realized that so many of her friends, so many of her family, had passed away in the last several years as this whole COVID thing started. Sitting right about there in our 8 o'clock service was a couple, Bill and Linda Barkley, who know what it is to have trouble in, in life. Within a span of just a couple of days, about three weeks ago, their one daughter was having cancer surgery. And their other daughter lost her husband in a helicopter crash. Can I be honest with you? Life is not just sometimes tough. Excuse the expression, but sometimes life on planet Earth sucks. It really does. And I am so thankful That when life sucks like it sometimes does, we don't have to face it alone. We have our constant companion, Jesus, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. He's there celebrating with us in the good times. And oh, he's there carrying us in the difficult times. You see, because of Jesus, I have hope as I look to the past. I don't have to live with regrets. I don't have to live with shame because Jesus has forgiven my past. As I'm walking through life and facing the difficulties and the hardships and the pain and the suffering of life, I know I don't have to do it on my own because I'm not alone. But then third, I have hope as I face the future. 
because I know death is not the end. I want you to listen to what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. The angel is talking to Mary now. And he says, you'll conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel. How long? What does it say? Forever. His kingdom will what? Will never end. Now, newsflash, if you don't know the Bible, Jesus didn't set up an earthly kingdom. He was nailed to a cross. He defeated death. He rose from the grave, but then he ascended to heaven. And so the kingdom that it's talking about here is not an earthly kingdom. It's talking about a heavenly kingdom. A kingdom that will never end. A kingdom where he will be king and he will make everything right. A kingdom in which sin will be no more. A kingdom in which death will no longer have a hold on us. A kingdom where there will no longer be sickness or suffering or sorrow or pain. You see, God has something waiting for us after we breathe our last breath, and it's so much better than anything we could ever face here. Listen, when you breathe your last breath here on this earth, you don't stop living, you start living. You begin to live life the way that God wants us to. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, the believers in Thessalonica are they're confused, they're struggling because people are dying and they're questioning what is going on because they thought Jesus was going to come back real soon. And, and Paul writes him a letter and he says this to him. He said, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, who have died, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. He, he told him two things. He said, death is inevitable. <laughs> people are going to die. People you love are going to die and you're going to be there at their coffin. One day, if the Lord tarries, you're going to die, and people that love you are going to be at your coffin. Death is inevitable. And grief, grief is inevitable. When we love people, when we lose people we love, we're going to grieve. But what Paul said is, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. Because we know that death is not the end. I, I, I read about this man who was taking an airplane flight, an airline flight from Chicago to Los Angeles and his seat was next to this very attractive, well-dressed, 40-something-year-old woman and he began a conversation with her and as they had this conversation, he found out that she lived in Palm Springs, California and he knew that Palm Springs was a place where famous, rich people lived and he said, tell me about Palm Springs and she said this, she said, Palm Springs is a beautiful place filled with unhappy people. And so he asked her some more questions, and then he said this. He said, are you unhappy? And she said, yes. He said, why? He said, I'll tell you that in one word, mortality. She said, when I turned 40, I couldn't see as well as I could before I went to the eye doctor. And he said, I need glasses. And she said, every time I look in the mirror and I see these glasses, or every time I put these glasses in my hands, it reminds me that my body is falling apart. And I'm dying. And I can't be happy with that. Can you imagine living your life that way? But that's what the people of this world do. For them, death in their minds is the end. I'm, I'm wearing this shirt today. Some of you are probably wearing it. I normally don't wear flannel, especially on Sunday morning. 
But this shirt that I've got, it's a little big on me. I've got the sleeves rolled up because the sleeves are too long. It's kind of big on me. It's an extra large, and I'm not extra large. But it was my son Josh's shirt. Josh passed away about five and a half years ago. And this morning, as I wear this shirt, I really do wear this shirt with hope. I wear it with hope because death is not the end. I know when I die, I'm going to look into the face of Jesus. But I really do believe that when I die, right beside Jesus, it's going to be Josh. And if you knew my son Josh, Josh had this crazy, really good grin. And I believe that when I look into the face of Jesus and see Jesus, Josh is going to be standing there grinning, and he's going to say, you didn't think I was going to be here, did you? (laughs) He's going to say that to me, because Josh and I struggled. When Josh passed away, he was not living for the Lord. He, he, He was struggling with some things in his life, and he was having questions. He never questioned Jesus, but he questioned some things about Jesus. But I remember, I remember vividly when Josh was a little boy and he asked Jesus to save him. And I remember how Jesus made a difference in his life. And I remember Josh coming up to me one Saturday night and saying, I want to preach tomorrow. And I said, You want to preach? What do you want to preach? And he told me what he wanted to preach. And I said, well, that will preach. I'll let you preach. So Sunday morning in Titusville, Florida, my little son got up. And he said, heaven is a beautiful place. And Jesus is beautiful. You're going to want to be there with Jesus. And you're going to want to be in heaven. That was the sermon. It's a pretty good sermon. And I remember later on in life, and again, Josh struggled, but I remember later on in life him being so concerned for his younger brother, Matthew, that there in their bedroom, he prayed with Matthew to ask Jesus in his heart. Now, some people will say, well, he didn't know what he was doing, and they didn't know what he was doing. Here's what I know. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And praise God that our struggles in life don't keep us from God's gift of salvation. Amen? You see, I don't have hope as I look back because I've lived a real good life. I don't have hope as I walk through life because I'm real strong. And I certainly don't have hope as I look forward to the future because I have the power to overcome death. I have hope because of Jesus. Jesus can give you hope. I don't know what you're struggling with today, but if it's your past, if it's your regrets, if it's your guilt, if it's your shame, Jesus can take it all away. If it's this life and how tough this life is, I'm here to tell you Jesus can walk with you. And if you're afraid of death and the grave, you don't have to be. Jesus has defeated them both. Because of Jesus, we can have hope.
So do you have that hope? If not, oh, listen, you need to give your life to Jesus. He'll change everything. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus is the hope of the world. Are you, are you a part of the world? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, everyone means what? Everyone. All means what? It means all. Jesus is the hope of the world. That means you. You can find hope in Jesus if you call on him. I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. And if you're here and, and you've never given your life to Jesus and you're ready to do that, you're saying, I need that today then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to him right now. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning admitting I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I don't want to be controlled by sin anymore. I believe you came to this earth. You died on a cross. You rose from the grave. So my sins could be forgiven so that you could be my ever-present help in time of trouble and so that you could give me a future with you. And right now, Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. Come into my life. Make me brand new, I pray. Now with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed,